we're going to keep learning how to obey quickly and continue to walk in love. Again, if the devil can draw you out in your emotions, draw you out in the flesh, then he's going to win. We have to walk in the spirit, stay in the spirit, pray, and take action. We win. The devil's nervous because he's losing. <laughs> he's losing. But people in this world want to see the real church. And so that's why we've been going for the past few weeks about what is the real, who is the real church? Who are those people that are considered part of the real church? What does the real church look like? People want to see the real church. And uh, not everything godly is big. You know, <laughs> New York is big, but it doesn't mean that it's godly, right? We have grown to think in this consumerism mentality that we live in in America. And as Christians, we think that big churches have to be godly. No, no. Money and ideas can build a big organization. So we have, to, we have to look at the qualifications or the characteristics of the first church. We've been going back to the book of Acts, going back to the book of Acts to see what the real church looks like. And we have to remember that uh, all those that consider themselves a member of the church, are they actually a part of the real church? Because the real church belongs to Jesus. Jesus attracted miracle, or the multitudes through miracles, but he really only discipled 12. And then of that 12, there were three that he carried to the garden to pray with him, right? So, I was thinking about that as, as I was studying, and the Lord took me to people like David and how he used David. David was the smallest in his family. He was the last one that should have been chosen, right? And the prophet came and, and said, Where, there's one more son. You have one more son, right? Bring that young one, the, the small one. That David, yeah, that, that one. God, God gets pleasure in using the minority or the smallest or the supposed weakest. Think about Gideon. Gideon was hiding out from the enemy, shaking down in that hole. <laughs> and God says, you mighty man of valor, do you hear me? Can I use you? Uh, yeah. <laughs> called the men and then took that number down and you know the rest of the story but how about Joshua and Caleb two of the 12 spies that Moses sent into the land and so that minority or that smaller portion of the bigger group was the one that had the spirit of faith Joshua and Caleb had the spirit of faith they were courageous to do what God want them, wanted them to do. How about Nehemiah? One man who recognized that the walls of Jerusalem had broken down. I'm going to have to start preaching a little bit louder. I hear the sound of the abundance of rain. <laughs> the Lord is smiling. 
on us. Whoever's a farmer prayed for that, right? Everybody else that wants to go golfing this afternoon is saying, hey, stop. (laughs) But God used Nehemiah because he was willing to work, work, and fight at the same time. God's called us to work and fight at the same time. And I do mean this is a spiritual warfare. How about Daniel, who refused to bow to anyone except Jesus and the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? He would only bow to God, and he did not bow to the King. But God used Daniel to turn that whole situation around. These are just people, just just people that in the natural it didn't look like uh, that God could do very much with just one person or one small group of people. But God uses those who are courageous. Esther, Deborah, different ones that were courageous. And so today, the last message in this series, I'm going to focus on the characteristic of of courage. And the title of the message is called The Courageous Remnant. The Courageous Remnant. And so the Bible says that there's going to be a great apostasy during the end times. I believe that we're in the, in the end of the end times here. It's a period of time that we're moving toward to where Jesus is coming back. This great apostasy is mentioned, you can write it down, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3, and also it's mentioned in Matthew 24. So I'm reading from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3. And I'm going to read out of the Amplified Bible. They're going to put it up here on the screen. It says, let no one, let no one, which means we have the the power to stop someone from beguiling us or deceiving us. You have the power from being deceived. Don't let anybody deceive you. In other words, pay attention. Wake up, wake up, open your eyes. Open your ears. Judge things that you hear. Don't just buy what everyone is saying to you. Not even, not even somebody standing before you d- delivering the word to you. Judge it by the Spirit of God on the inside of you. Don't let anybody deceive you or beguile you in any way, for that day will not come except the apostasy comes first. Unless the predicted great falling away of those who have professed to be Christians has come. And the man of lawlessness, or the man of sin, is revealed, who is the son of doom, or the son of perdition, the Antichrist. And so we believe that before this Antichrist is revealed, we see from Scripture that the church is uh, caught away. The Bible, the Bible says caught away, or as some people in English say, raptured. But there's an apostasy that happens first, or a falling away that happens first, or Christians who have professed to be Christians have fallen away from their professed Christian faith. And we're seeing that today. We've talked for the past few weeks about this distinction between the real church 
and those who are sitting in a building with a sign on the front that says church. Just because you walk into a building with a sign on the front that says church doesn't mean you're a part of the church. There's something to qualify you being a part of that church. It's found in Romans chapter 10 and verse 9, uh, 9 and 10. Romans 10, 9 and 10. It's believing in the heart and confessing with the mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. That makes you part of the church. And that's just stepping through the, the doorway. We're called to be, become disciples and followers of Jesus, which means to find out what Jesus says to do and then do it. And so those are part of the, the, the real church. Those that have confessed Jesus, but also begin to follow Jesus, walk with Jesus, and obey Jesus. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, it also talks about this apostasy, or uh, in some versions it's called the rebellion. In the King James Version, or uh, the NIV Version and the ESV Version, call it a rebellion. That's what an apostasy is. It's an, it's an abandonment of the truth. It's a rejection of God's revelation. It's a falling away. First Timothy says, says this in chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. The Spirit clearly says that in latter times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings have come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. And we're seeing this today. I mean, 20 years, if you would have looked at that verse, you'd say, ah, eh, there may be some, but I'm not aware of it. But today, it's out there. It's there. It's there. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13 says, For a time is coming, 2 Timothy 4, 3, sorry, 2 Timothy 4, 3, the New Living Translation says, For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. This is part of that apostasy. You know, it, it's like if you feed your kid cotton candy, candy apples, Snickers bars, right? And then you notice that their teeth are rotting out and they're hyper all the time. And the doctor, the pediatrician says, well, what are you feeding? You know, the doctors always ask the obvious questions. What is your diet and what are you feeding them? And then now we need to make a change. So you feed them vegetables, fruits, meats, and get them to sit down at the table and eat that. No, no, I want the cotton candy. I want the Snickers. We've got a, a church full of people that love the cotton candy and Snickers. We don't want to eat our vegetables. Blah. Did you ever have a kid that you put their peas, put their peas down their mouth and they came back out? <laughs> <laughs> that, that was you? Okay. <laughs> we have a good bit of the church that just wants to hear what they want to hear. Whether we want to admit that or not. It's, it's true. So we need, we need the truth that sets us free. The truth sets us free from the lies. 
but we have to we have to be in the truth so that we can recognize the lies if we're not in the truth then anything sounds good right so all of this apostasy and falling away and being lured around to false doctrine is not new look at first john chapter 2 first john 2:18 says little children it is the last time we are in the last days and as you have heard that antichrist shall come even now there are many antichrists whereby we know that it is the last time or the last days so here's John half-brother of Jesus who was the pastor of the church in Jerusalem over 2,000 years ago writing to the church and telling them that Antichrist were already in the earth the spirit of Antichrist was already in the earth and if it was in the earth over 2,000 years ago that Antichrist spirit is still on the earth today last scripture in first John first John chapter 4 verse 3 says this every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God this is a spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and which is already in the world at this time. So here's my big question from point number one. Has the church rejected the truth of God's word? Are we at a place in the church where we say, well, uh, We'll just set that aside and talk about how we're supposed to love one another and love our neighbor and not point to any scripture. We'll just give a, a good talk. Or do we lift up the word of God and say this is the absolute truth, the indestructible truth, the one truth for all time? Are we going to go the way of the Bible? Or are we just going to throw it aside and say, you know, we've graduated past that. We don't really need that anymore. That was good for 2,000 years ago, but we have something better. We want to have fun in church. All right, Samuel? Let's just have fun. God, he's a sugar daddy. He loves to give you what you want stroke you on the back and tell you how well you're doing but every time we come before the word there is there is a reprimand because the bible says that that this, all this this whole word is good for rebuke rebuke re, reproof correction that we that we the people of god can stand maturely and be able to divide the word of truth so, my point is, because most of the church has rejected, I say most, I, I don't have a statistic, but a lot of the church has rejected the authority of God's Word. They put more trust in the words of people who write books, who claim that they're a Christian leader, than the actual Word of God. So it's time to take courage. Time to take courage. Earlier in the series, we talked about the power of the Holy Spirit. And 
this power was such a part of that church in the book of Acts that it is one of the ultimate characteristics of the real church but that power needs courage power needs courage to operate courage is the determination to do all that it requires to accomplish the mission you don't look at some war hero and say wow he was 50 percent courageous <laughs> he, he was almost courageous no if they gave their life for the mission they were courageous courageous our courage to be courageous is to make the decision to obey the power God is by his Holy Spirit the power that flows through us but we have to make the decision to obey the power to obey what God wants us to do many people want to be courageous but few actually are courageous do you want to be courageous do you want to be courageous are you courageous are you courageous I really don't believe that God is obligated to manifest his power through someone who is timid that's why the Bible says in Timothy God has not given us a spirit of timidity or fear but of power love and a sound mind we have to be willing to operate in that power in that love in that sound mind for God to manifest his power through us back to the illustration of Peter and John going up to the past the gate beautiful up to the temple they said we don't have silver and gold but what we do have the power we have the power and we know that power is not just for us but we saw Jesus heal the sick not too long ago and so if you're sick and you need something then I've got the power I just received it and so here take the power in the name of Jesus be healed right and so it takes courage to operate in faith so that his power can flow through you if you're not willing to be courageous is God obligated to operate through you be strong and courageous Joshua chapter 1 Joshua 1 it's one of my favorite chapters of the Bible be strong and courageous and Joshua we talked about him briefly earlier. Joshua, think about how he came to this place in his life where he was the um, leader after Moses went off the scene. But it was Joshua and Caleb who went into the land to spy out the land. They saw the giants, but they saw the fruit. And they heard the promise. They heard the promise from God that said that is yours and they saw the giants they did not deny the giants but Caleb was the one that said we're more than able to take them why are we why are we not going to do this and it was 40 years later that Joshua and Caleb were still full of faith and full of courage and full of power to say that's my mountain that's my mountain 
Right? They were courageous. Could we, could any one of us lasted 40 years with, with million, uh, over a million people that were filled with fear and doubt, complaining, crabbing, complaining, moaning, groaning, and still at the end of 40 years said, hey, now I'm 80 years old and I've still got faith. I'm still waiting for that mountain. That's my mountain. But listen to this. That's why Joshua 1 excites me so much because this is God speaking. This is God speaking to Joshua. I'm going to start in verse 6. Joshua 1, 6. Be strong. Everybody say and. Yes. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Strength is great, but courage is required. Being strong alone will not cause you to do anything. It's, it would be like signing up for a gym membership and wanting to build your muscles and just going and taking your fob and opening the door and walking in, putting on your gym clothes, standing by the machine. I'm strong, I'm strong, I'm strong, I'm strong. <laughs> it takes courage to get up under that weight and push it up, right? Be strong and courageous because, the Bible says, because you will lead these people to inherit the land that I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that whatever may be success that what that what you do may be successful wherever you go keep this book of the law always on your lips meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it then you will make your way prosperous then you will be prosperous and successful have i not commanded you again so it's emphasizing what, what Joshua needs to do to be successful and prosperous. Have I not commanded you to be strong and courageous? Being strong and being courageous. Don't be afraid. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and very courageous. Be strong and courageous. There in those three verses. And then if you skip to verse 16 through 18... The people answered Joshua. Here's what the people said. Whatever you have commanded us, we will do. He had built trust with the people that they were now coveting with Joshua to follow him. But they made a qualification with Joshua. Whatever you have commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we fully obeyed Moses... So we will, we will obey you. Only, only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your word and does not obey it, whatever you may command them will be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. Just what the Lord told him. So the people were willing to go with Joshua as far as Joshua was going with God. And he could only go with God if he was strong and courageous and obedient. But courage, courage is necessary 
to see the power of God in our life. The word courage in Hebrew right there in those, those passages actually means be strong in the feet. To be strong in the feet. Now if your feet are strong, that means you're going, to, going somewhere to do something. Right? If your feet are not strong, you're going to be laying up in the bed, not doing anything. But this word courage means to be strong in the feet. Because we're going somewhere to do something. You know, today we have a lot of faith talkers, but not enough faith walkers. There's a lot of people in the body of Christ standing around watching others do the work. Right? But in Luke 10, Jesus anointed all of those disciples that he called. He called them and anointed all of them to go and to heal the sick, to cleanse the leper, to cast out demons. He didn't say, okay, uh, how many do I have here? Uh, 72. Okay. You split off, let's see, 35 and a half of you go, or 36 of you go this way, 36 of you go that way. You just, you lay hands on the sick, okay? You over here are the devil caster outers. <laughs> I got to separate you because not all of you can do this. No, it was by his power that they did anything. Just like Peter and John said, hey, it's not our power that we healed this man. It was the power in the name of Jesus. Faith in that name healed this man. Right? But it was the courage of Peter and John that went up to the man that pulled him up. It, was, they, it took courage to connect the power of God with the sick man. They had to be courageous. We have to be courageous. So here's the question. I asked this a few weeks ago. How many demons did you cast out this week? Because there's demons that live in Decula. Right or wrong? There's some demons <laughs> that live around here. And we don't like to think about that. We like to think that demons live in third country, the third world, third world countries. You know, where they manifest. And oh, that's a demon right there. There's somebody on the ground swirling around and foaming at the mouth and like a snake, right? interesting conversation I had with a missionary to West Africa one time it was way back in the day before internet and I had we were young and we wanted to go on the mission field and I was emailing it was back in the days where when you connected to the internet it went you've got mail way before World Wide Web some some of you were born after <laughs> what I'm talking about, like, what was that, a modem? <laughs> and the response on the other end was, because I was excited about going to West Africa, can I come to West Africa so we, can, so we can see some manifestations going on? And he wrote, this missionary wrote back to me. It was very good at the time because I was young and just real zealous. He said, if you're not casting out devils where you are, don't think you're going to come to West Africa and cast out devils. And it shocked me. It really did. And it was like, wow. Huh, who do you think? And initially, I was like, who, well, who do you think you are? But what he said was true. 
And I never forgot that. And so it's our job. It is our calling. It is our commission. It's our mission on earth to find people who are oppressed by the devil and cast out demons. Can I tell you that this week, even this week, we've talked with people on the phone that, and it just seems like just this week, young people have been pushed to commit suicide. And um, it's demonically influenced. What I read you earlier, or what I talked about earlier, about this person coming out and, and promoting the devil. I mean, there's, <laughs> there's demonic manifestation. More and more. More and more. When the Lord told Joshua to not be afraid and do not be discouraged, in Joshua 1.9... That word also discouraged can can be translated intimidated. And so we shouldn't be intimidated. You should not be intimidated. Wherever you go and what, whatever you're doing, there has to be a confidence, a boldness, a courage that we have to take as Christians. That we're going where God wants us to go and we're going to do what God has called us to do. Because all the world is pushing back on us now. All the world is putting pressure on us as Christians to apologize because we're Christians. Right? Apologize. Apologize because you read a Dr. Seuss book when you were a kid. Apologize because you were born in America. Apologize because you have an American flag flying out in the front of your house. Come on. Are you crazy? And so the distinction is becoming more and more obvious from the compromised church or the courageous church. Amen. The compromised church is becoming weaker right. while the courageous church is becoming stronger. Yes. The compromised church is becoming more fearful while the courageous church is becoming more fearless. Yes. Amen. The compromised church is becoming more silent while the courageous church is becoming more vocal. The compromised church is becoming more dependent on people and the government. If people tell me we can't do this, then we shouldn't do this. Or if the government says that we can't do this, then we, we shouldn't do it. But the courageous church is becoming more dependent on God. Amen. Just like Peter and John said at the very beginning of the series that I, that I brought out, Peter and John says, hey, you tell us to not use the name of Jesus. But you be the judge. I'm not going to disobey God in order to obey you. I will obey God over government or man any day. The compromised church is becoming more opinionated. But the courageous church is becoming more truth-oriented. And so we've got to hang on to the Word of God. We have to know what the Word says. Not only know what the Word says, but why it says what it says. Know what you believe, but why you believe what you believe. Because there's a lot of people in the body that can be talked out of their faith that quick. They can be pushed back in a corner and canceled and erased that quick. 
So we need the courage. We need the courage. Acts chapter 4. Last scripture. Acts 4.13. I believe we're being encouraged by the Spirit of God this morning. Acts 4, verse 13, the New International Version. When they saw the courage of Peter and John. When they saw the courage of Peter and John. Courage can be seen. Courage is noticeable because it requires action. You see courage because someone did something. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. Results always speak for themselves. The fruit of Jesus' ministry spoke for itself. And so they, they still wanted to subvert what was going on. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then confer together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows that they have performed a notable sign and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. That censorship, it's going on. It's happening. It's not just going to happen. It's happening. Don't speak the name of Jesus. But then Peter and John replied, Which is right in God's eyes to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. And after further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. Amen. And so we cannot be courageously silent. Some people in the church think that it's virtuous to be silent. Oh, pastor, you just need to turn the other cheek. <laughs> wow. I think that scripture is being taken out of context. <laughs> I know that the enemy's been defeated. So we have nothing to fear because God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power of love and a sound mind. It's time to become courageous. There is a deficit of courage in the body of Christ. And so it's time. It's time to, to be the real church. Not just claim to be part of the real church, but to be the real church. To do what Jesus says to do. To be bold. To do things that are uncommon. Peter and John were... They followed Jesus and... The man got healed. They did not apologize. They were not going to be canceled. They were not going to be silent. And they decided 
they decided courage is a, is a predetermined decision to obey God whatever it costs you whatever it costs you these are strange times we're living in I can't tell you what's going to happen I'm going to keep you informed on what's happening and how it lines up with the Bible I, I'm thankful that we have God's promise that even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death that we will fear no evil and notice that it it says walking through the valley of the shadow of death there's some Christians that are sitting down <laughs> on the sidelines asking God could you please help me walk through no you get up he's given you his spirit he's given you his power what what else he's given you the name of Jesus what else do you need <laughs> what else do you need what else do we need Moses had the stick, but it wasn't until he held it up and obeyed God to extend that staff over the, the, the... It took courage to do that. Pharaoh at his back and the people are complaining, you brought us out here to kill us, what are you, you going to do? God, what are we going to do? Hold up the stick. The power wasn't in the stick, guys. The power was God reaching down and... Splitting the Red Sea. Moses just obeyed. That, this is... This really, really... In, in, in the whole scheme of things... It only requires our obedience... To be courageous. To speak up for Jesus. Has Jesus healed you? Has Jesus set you free? Has Jesus saved you? Does that mean anything to us? Or is it just some label... What has he done for us? Peter and John said, no way. <laughs> we are not going to be quiet about what we have seen and heard. What have, we, what have we seen and heard? What has Jesus done for us? 